Hello, my name is Larry Hiles. I'm the preaching minister at the Milford Church of Christ. Thank you for taking the time to watch or listen to this message. Please feel free to share it with friends. Also, if it's impacted your life in any way, reach out to us and let us know how. If you live in the Centerburg or Mount Vernon area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 3648 Johnstown Road in Centerburg, Ohio. We look forward to the opportunity of meeting you. If you have your Bibles, get them opened up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, uh, verses 1 and 2 is going to be our primary text this morning. Before we get to that, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to worship. We thank you for the sunshine. Lord, we thank you for the, the kind of worship that we're able to have. We're able to sing. We're able to partake of communion. We're able to give back a portion of what you give us. And Lord, we're able to open up your word and to worship you. Uh, from that standpoint. So God, I, I pray that you'll be with us during this time frame. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, do you remember what it was like to be a little kid and to look up to everything your parents did? So and sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it's not so good. Did, did anybody ever have one of those cars that the back window um, actually rolled down? So my, my parents had one of those cars, and I can remember one time, my, my dad and his cousin, they either had too much to smoke or too much to drink. I don't know which one of the ones it was, but it was something, and they were uh, intoxicated, inebriated or something. My mom's driving down the road in this car with that back window down, and my dad and his cousin, both of them, my cousin, dad's cousin was 6'3", and my dad was 6'5", and, and here these two fools are hanging off the back of the car as my mom's driving down the road. And that's, you know, not anything that's too funny to do, especially when there's a four to a six-year-old. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I was in the car. And so the next time we got in the car, mom rolled the window down, and she's driving down the road. And I thought, well, I'm going to get on the trunk too. So I climbed out the back window. And as we're driving down the road, I said, hey, mom, look at me. What do you think happened then? Mom stopped the car so fast, I ran, I, I dove into the car, and she pulled over. And this next part's not very politically correct. She whipped my hind end. So as a matter of fact, that's the only time I remember my mom ever whipping my hind in was, was in that occasion, right? And so uh, we spend our early childhood days watching our parents and wanting to be like them, wanting to imitate everything they do. We, we walk the way they walk. We talk the way they do. We respond to similar situations the same way they do. Uh, and, so, and we all know this to be true, right? I, I mean, what child's not been embarrassed by a parent that said something that they've heard you say? And you know what you do at that point when that happens, right? You know what everybody does it, you blame the other parent. So that, that's what happens, right? As kids, uh, kids want to be like their parents, but something happens in those early teenage years. We, we spend a great deal of time trying to distance ourselves from our, from our parents. Why? Because some, for some reason, when we become teenagers, we become much more smarter than our parents ever were, right? And we, we know how life is, and we figured it all out. Uh, growing up, I wanted to distance myself away from my parents as far as I could. Uh, the older I got, the more I realized, though, that as much as I wanted to distance myself from them, there were things in me that I just couldn't help, and it's called DNA, right? And, and DNA makes you look like your parents. It makes you walk like your parents. It makes you sound like your parents, you know? And so uh, before I got my knees fixed, April would tell me all the time, you're, you're walking like your mom. Because uh, she had bad knees and I, I had bad knees. And, and uh, growing up, I remember people calling the house. And, and when I would pick up the phone, uh, the first thing they would say is, hi, Jeff. 
Why? Because my voice sounded like my dad's voice. So as much as I wanted to distance myself away from my parents, I didn't want to walk like them in any way, spiritually, emotionally, anything. I couldn't help that DNA that was implanted on me that I look like Elaine Smith-Hiles, and I sound like Jeffrey Dean-Hiles. And that's what happens with us. And so uh, here's an aspect. Let me switch gears for a moment and, and then tie these two things together. If someone were to come up to you and ask you this question, what's the purpose of the Christian life? What would you answer? What would you say? I mean, the purpose of the Christian life is to tell people about Jesus Christ. The purpose of the Christian life is to stay away from sin. The purpose of the Christian life is to, to be a good person. And, and really, all of those things are, are part, maybe, of the Christian life. But, but really, the purpose of the Christian life is that we need to become more like Jesus. I mean, that's the purpose. Paul wrote it this way. He said, and we know, and we know these first verse, the first verse here. He says, and we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Man, we, we love to quote that verse, right? That's one of those things when trials are coming about, we love to, God's going to work it out for good for those who love him. But we often leave this next part out of the quotation, right? Yeah, because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And that's a big word in Christian circles too, that predestination. But what did he predestine us to? He predestined us to become conformed to the image of his son so that we would be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, our relationship with Jesus is one that should impact the way we walk. And, and as we walk every day of our lives, we, we start to look more and more like Jesus, right? Why? Because his spiritual DNA is implanted on our souls. And, and as followers of Christ, when, when people see us, they, they need to see Jesus. And as a matter of fact, here's the bottom line of this message today. If we are children of God, then we ought to imitate our Father, if we're children of God, we ought to imitate our Father. And, and so, and last week I, I answered this question, am I saved? And, and we did so by asking three questions of the text. You know, are we living in willful disobedience? Are we living the new life? And is there evidence of that new life? So in these next 17 verses, Paul's going to build upon that idea of walking uh, in Christ and to discuss additional ways that a follower of Christ should walk in order to look more and more like Jesus. And, and at first glance, when I first looked at this text, I thought we'll go through all 17 verses. But as in everything, when you start to dig into a text, you realize, gosh, there's uh, you know, a lot of sermons here, not just one. And so my goal is for us to tackle two verses this morning. And if we're going to look like our father, here's the first thing. We got to walk in love. We got to walk in love. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant offering. And so whenever we're reading through God's word, and you've heard me say it, and I'll say it a lot of times, it's one of the corny things to do as a preacher. Whenever there's a therefore, you got to ask what it's there for. And so Paul's tying this back to that previous section. And in particular, he's tying it back to verses 31 and 32. And, and I'll paraphrase them, but they'll be up on the screen where he said, get rid of all anger, bitterness, wrath, all malice, all these things, and, and to walk as children of life, and to be forgiving, graciously forgiving others as God has forgiven us. And Paul's pointing back to those verses when he, when he declares for us, therefore, be imitators of God. He tells us that we're to follow the example of Christ. And, and this is important here, right? We, we must get this. If we are a follower of Christ, we're going to have to imitate our Father. We're going to have to imitate Christ. And, and when people see the way we treat one another, they need to see Christ in us. 
When, when people see the way we respond to bad news in our lives, they need to see Christ in us. When, when people see the way we treat others that are mistreated, they need to see Christ in us. And, and I know I keep kind of pointing back to similar things, but, but remember, I, I, I tell you this all the time, the, the message of the Bible is the same all the way through. I mean, especially when you read Paul's writings, Paul keeps finding the same way to say the same things to different groups of people. And what God calls us to do, he equips us to do. So can I quickly remind you what Paul's written? You know, back in chapter one, right? When we accept the gospel of grace by believing, and really believing is not a strong enough word, when we accept the gospel by submitting our lives to Christ, to, to him to be the Lord of our lives, his will to be our will, what happens is, is that he gives us his Holy Spirit. Chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance unto the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. And a couple of verses later, Paul lets us know that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available for us. It's that Holy Spirit. And so because of that, we ought to imitate him. We ought to imitate our Father, our God, our Lord. Right, well, what he does, we do. What he says, we say. Where he leads or goes, we're to go. And, and this should be natural. Why? Because of the spiritual DNA that's within us. It should be an evident thing in our lives. And, and think about this fact. Well, I read a couple of passages of Scripture. Romans chapter 8. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. You know, God's word clearly says there, if the Spirit is in you, walk like it. Walk like it. It'll be seen. This is even a better truth. Not only are we able to put to death the misdeeds of the body, but the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. These things will be clearly seen in us. And so if I'm understanding this concept clearly, what that means is that with God's Holy Spirit in me, I should look more like God than I look like the world. And we get this when it comes to the physical aspect, right? Like I, like I mentioned, no matter how hard I wanted to run away from it, I look like my mom's family. I mean, so you see pictures of my mom's family. I mean, Preston looks like April's family. CJ looks like me, right? And it's real, we got a picture of when I was in basic training and CJ's in basic training, and it's, it's scary. And, and what's even scarier, there was a time that we were sitting in a restaurant, April and I and CJ down in Florida, and a song came on in that restaurant, and CJ and I started moving our shoulders the same exact way in the same direction without realizing the other was going to do it. See, neither CJ and I, we really can't move that well. Preston and April can. I mean, DNA is a weird thing, right? It's amazing to see those things happen. And so it's almost as if CJ was predestined to look and act like his dad, and, and Preston was predestined to look and act like April's family. So it, it's a crazy thing. 
So friends, when, when those characteristics about uh, God's Holy Spirit are, are not in us, it should be an alarm going off in our souls. If we're not being loving or joyful or peaceful or patient or kind or good to others or gentle, uh, if we're not exhibiting self-control, then, then, then there's something missing, right? There's something missing in us. And, and then Paul, he gives us in this text, he gives us a motivation for that, that, that the reason this should be evident in our lives. And he says this, as beloved children, and let that sink in for a moment. As we were singing that last song, he's a good, good father. Yeah, it's who he is. It's who he is. That we're loved by him. It's who I am. It's who I am. Do you ever really stop and consider God's love for you? How much he loves you? What he's done for your behalf, on your behalf. Right? I mean, he's... And Paul's really dug through this, right? Back in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But, but God, being rich in mercy because of what? His great love with which he's loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. And, and then in chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, that's where he says that, that he prays that, that they'd be able to comprehend how wide, how deep, how high is the love of God in Christ Jesus for them. I mean, friends, think about that. We are loved by God. And I, and I believe God that's created the world for the sole purpose of being glorified through humanity. And, and even when we as human beings mess it up, and man, do we mess it up? Anybody guilty of messing it up this week? Anybody guilty of messing it up at any time? I mean, even when we're at our worst point, I, I think we, we don't let that reality sink in in our lives enough, right? That God loves me. He loves you. I mean, we know the Bible, right? The Bible says, for God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only, one, only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Man, that's love. I mean, and from that love, he calls for us to imitate our father and to walk in love. We know what the Bible says, that, that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Man, we are loved. We are loved by the Father. And from that, he says, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. You see, I find the gospel in everything in life. It's one of those things. I just try to find the gospel. And I believe that God's implanted the gospel in so many areas of life. And one of those areas is the family unit, right? And and in particular, when you bring a little baby home, man, is that a clear picture of love, right? Is that a clear picture? Because, you know, you think about bringing a baby home. When, when your parents brought you home, uh, you demanded everything from them. You demanded food. You demanded a diaper change. You demanded their attention. And, and, and what did your parents do? They loved you, and they did those things for you. It's not because you loved them. It's because they first loved you, and it's from that love for you that you learn how to love them back, and oftentimes it's from a lack of proper love that people learn how to be angry and selfish and hateful, you know, and so, but, but the bigger picture, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus to be an imitator of God. So let me ask you a question. Is there anything inherently lovable about you? Think about it. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A lot of times we act like little babies demanding our way. Yet God loves us. 
God gives us one rule and we break it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Does God love you because you first loved him? We know that's not the case, right? 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the covering for our sins. God demonstrates his love for us that while we're sinners, Christ died for us. And the message is clear all throughout scripture. Our love for God does not originate in us. Our love for God is a response of his love for us. It's a response. And from that response of love for us, he says, be imitators of God. As beloved children walk in love. So friends, uh, uh, as we have experienced the pure love of God in our own lives, we're equipped and empowered to love one another. But this idea of love's confusing, right? And, and especially in the body of Christ, especially in our world, right? We can love a lot of things. We can love our families. We can love our dogs. Sometimes people love their dogs more than they love their families. Uh, so we can love sunshine. We can love pizza and cheeseburgers. It's virtually impossible to love broccoli. I know, I've tried. So, we can love our favorite sports teams, the Browns and the Buckeyes. Everything else is a waste of time. So we can love our friends and we can love our time off of work. Are, are all of those loves equal in meaning? No. No. In fact, when, when Paul says to walk in love as beloved children, man, this goes so deep, right? He, he uses that agape word for love. And, you know, I, I, every time I talk about love, I got to mention there are four Greek words. Eros, the love of things beautiful. Storge, it's an affectionate love. Phileo, it's brotherly love. And then there's agape, right? Paul used agape, and it's a difficult word to define, but we can see it in its actions, right? It's, it's not loving because someone deserves love. It's loving because it's the right thing to do. It's a sacrificial love that's not earned by the recipient, but given by the donor. It's a love that serves others, not because there's an affectionate feeling toward them, but you know that that's what God has called you to do in serving them. So as Paul says that that's what we're supposed to walk in. Paul didn't say that we're to walk in affection. He didn't say that we're to walk in admiration of things that are beautiful. He didn't say that we're to walk alongside of people who we agree with. He said we're to walk in love with one another. To walk in love with one another. Because that's what's the right thing to do. And so love's not a feeling. Love is an action. And we know that to be true, right? All right. Let me ask you a question. If you're married and someone were to come up to you and say, do you love your spouse? How would you answer well, yes, I love my spouse. All right, so then what were they, if they were to say, well, how do you know you love your spouse? Right, what, what are you going to answer then? Well, well, we feel the same way, so it's, an, so it's something I feel, so it's an affectionate kind of love, right? What happens when affection disappears? That's my favorite question to ask people as they're going through premarital counseling. What are you going to do when the puppy love goes away? Oh, it's not going to go away. It does, right? Actually, I asked it in a much deeper way than that, and it made April mad, so I quit asking it that way. So I, I, did, I literally asked somebody once, what are you going to do when you roll over and you want to puke? <laughs> so I never felt that way, but I was trying to get a point across. You know, so you, know, you get my point there, right? So, well, well, she's beautiful. I mean, or he's a rock. Look at him. What happens when the beauty fades and the rock turns to flab? And it happens, right? Well, we have so much in common. Well, what happens when an illness comes and takes away those things in common? How do you know you love them? 
You know, and, and even in our best expressions of love for one another, it's hard, right? Because we're not perfect. And so, so how do I know I love April? That's what I thought. So I was preaching this message out. I thought, or getting this out. Well, if somebody comes, well, how do you know you love April? And so I started, I thought of a list. So uh, uh, let me tell you my list. I, I like to get April her first cup of coffee in the morning. So I want to make her breakfast each morning. So um, I can do that. Uh, if she's thirsty, I want to get her something to drink. I love to see her smile. I love the contentment she has on her face when she's hugging her boys. I love the joy in her eyes when she's around her grandsons. And I, I, I know I love her because of those things. I love sitting on the porch or in the living room talking. I'm not a romantic type of guy. I'm really not, you know. And so, and uh, but I've told April before. I want her to take me for granted. And what do I mean by that? I want her to know that I'm going to be here. You know, I just, I want her to know I'm going to be there no matter what. Even so much so a few years ago, I told her, if you ever leave, I'm going with you. So you might as well stay. So, yes. you know, I, um, I don't understand uh, the physical pain that April's went through with fibromyalgia, but I empathize and I, I want to, and if I could take it away from her, I would. I don't know what it's like to lose a child. It breaks my heart to know that she does. I want to do whatever I can do to lead her closer to Christ, and I fail at times at that. I, I, want, I know I love her because I want what's best for her. I don't love April because she's beautiful, but, man, she's beautiful. You know, and, and so if someone were to say, how do you know you love? What are your answers? See, and friends, God didn't just tell us that he loved us. He proved that he loved us by sending his son to die in our place. And he proved that he loved us by raising Jesus Christ up from the dead, giving us victory over sin. So how do we flesh out this command, right? To get this picture and God says to walk in love and like, okay, God, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's pretty steep, Lord. So how do we do it? And I want to close with... Just some application points, how we walk in love. And to walk in love is to live a selfless life. I mean, I, I read the verses from Philippians, right? We got the perfect example in Jesus Christ, who, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a slave uh, and became obedient, obedient to the point of death, uh, so that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We, ha we have that perfect example to walk in that kind of life. And, and much of what Paul's written to the church in Ephesus already is pointed back to that, right? He's challenged the church in Ephesus to make sure that they were walking in a manner worthy of the calling of the gospel of Jesus Christ on their lives. Paul has said with all humility and gentleness and patience to bear with one another in love. Right, man, that's to walk, that's to be selfless. Paul has declared to lay aside falsehood, speak truth to one another with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Paul has said, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. Paul has said that as Christ has forgiven you, you need to forgive one another. Man, that's a picture of a selfless life right there. It's what he's called for us to do. And think about the body of Christ at times. Do we lay aside self for the sake of others? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes the body of Christ is the last place you see these things. 
Sometimes the body of Christ, we tear one another down with our words. We become more concerned with our positions in the decision-making process than we are with the people that we claim to love. We, there are times that we hold grudges and fail to forgive. There are times that we're more concerned about sharing the gossip, I mean the prayer concern, than we are about praying. There are times that our mouths are full of bitterness and anger and malice and wrath toward people in the church. And then when people in the world from the outside look in, they don't see that selfless example of Christ. So I, I thought, I mean, here's a perfect little formula. If we want to walk in love, that we need to remember that him is greater than them, is greater than us, is greater than me. If we just put ourselves last in that process, we'll have this selfless kind of life and we'll be able to walk in love. A second way we're able to walk in love is to live a sacrificial life. Remember, love's not a feeling, it's an action. And Paul said to walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us. Man, let that sink in for a moment. That's what he calls us to do for one another. He calls us to live this sacrificial life for each person that we come into contact with. And the essence of agape love is sacrificial love. The Gospel of John says, this is my commandment that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. Man. Go home and take a test on that one. Let's just be honest with ourselves in that point. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. Charles Colson or Chuck Colson told a story about a group of American soldiers that were in a prison camp, and this prison camp was notorious for just being cruel. And each day these prisoners would go out and they would just dig holes. And they'd dig trenches, and then they would come back. And one particular day, uh, 20 of the, soldiers, 20 of the uh, prisoners came back, and one of the guards uh, stepped out in front and uh, started counting the, sh the shovels. And there were 20 prisoners, and he said he only counted 19. And he said, who was who the person that, that didn't bring the shovel back? Step forward now, and nobody stepped forward. And so the guard pulled his gun out and said, if somebody doesn't step forward right now, I'm going to shoot five people and kill them. And a few seconds later, a 19-year-old soldier stepped forward, and the guard grabbed him and took him over to the side and shot him in his head and killed him. And he walked away. So the men that were there went around this 19-year-old soldier who had just given his life up for theirs. And, and then they went over and they counted the shovels and you know how many shovels were there? 20 of them. So the guard either miscounted or he purposely decided that he was going to kill somebody that day. Can you imagine what those other men felt as they looked back over at this body of this 19-year-old man? Some people would call a boy and realize, man, he gave everything for me. He gave everything for us. And that's what sacrificial love does. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Friends, what are we doing to lay down our life for the sake of the uh, people that God has called us to worship with? Do we sacrifice our time to make gatherings together uh, for corporate worship and grow groups and other stuff? Do we make that a priority? Do we sacrifice our talents to use them for the building up of the body of Christ? Do we sacrifice our treasure to ensure that the storehouse of God is full? And not only are we called to love each other that way, but friends, what are we doing to have a sacrificial love for people who are outside of this building, for those that aren't here yet? How, how do we love them? 
And I thought of this verse this week, right? And, and just after describing, you know, just after saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John's gospel uh, says this, that, that for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And friends, I got thinking about this this week. And this is a reality I think sometimes that needs to sink in in the body of Christ. It needs to sink in into my own soul right now as I consider the news, as I consider the social and the morality aspects that we're looking at in our world. If God did not send his son into the world to condemn it the first time, I can be sure of this. You can be sure of this. He didn't leave the church here to condemn it either. He didn't leave us here for that process. He left us here so that we could reach them with the gospel message. And we're not going to reach the world until we sacrificially love the world, until we love them. Are we willing to do that? So to live a life of love means to live a sacrificial life in the last aspect. Uh, to walk in love is to live a sincere life. So this was a total preacher move here, right? And setting out an outline, I had two S's, and so I had to have a third S to make this outline uh, look right. So what I mean by this word sincere is this, to live a truth-filled life. And you know what it means to be truth-filled, right? It's much more than just living a sinless life. It's, it's being willing to tell people the truth. It's being willing to share the truth in love. And we do live in this upside-down world that claims that loving someone is accepting them the way they are and allowing them to stay that way. It doesn't matter what the sin is, right? If it's homosexuality or if it's alcoholism, if it's adultery, no matter what it is, materialism, pride, we find ways to make excuses for those sins because we love people, right? And we, so we don't share truth with people. We're not sincere to the truth of God's word in their lives. And in essence, friends, if we're just honest with ourselves, aren't we just patting them on the back on the way to hell. If we truly love someone, we're going to tell the truth. So uh, let me ask you a question. How loving do you think I would be as a, as a grandparent if, as, if I let one of my grandkids run out into the road with cars coming on? You wouldn't think I was very loving at all. Right? And, and, and I mean, if I would say, well, I'm not going to tell them what to do. After all, they're autonomous human beings. They need to be able to make their own choice. And if I come uh, with my whole holier-than-thou attitude and saying, hey, kid, don't run into the road, I mean, do I think I'm better than them? Gosh, friends, and, and, and why do we know that when it comes to physical aspects of life? But we as Christians have stopped loving people enough to be sincere with the truth in their lives, to, to come alongside of people and love them, yes, but not pat them on the back on the way to hell. So, there are two ways that we get this wrong. And the first way that we get this wrong is we just judge people and we just think that they're beyond help. And the second way we get it wrong is we don't say anything at all. So to walk in love is to be willing to tell the people, tell people the truth, but we must be able to do it like Jesus did. Just go back and read the first few verses of the Gospel of John, and you're going to see twice in those first 18 verses that it's going to mention that Jesus was full of two things. Do you know what those two things was? Grace and truth. See, he wasn't just full of grace. 
He was also full of truth. And he wasn't just full of truth. He was also full of grace. And, and we need to have that aspect about us today. And, and a perfect example of that's found there in John chapter 8. The woman caught in adultery. Verses 10 and 11, straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I, I, I do not condemn you either. And look at what he says next. What does he say next? Go and sin no more. Now, before the theologian tells me that that wasn't in the earliest manuscripts, he, he says that to one other person as well. Uh, when he heals the guy at the pool of Bethesda, he says, now, stop sinning so something worse doesn't happen to you. You, you see, Jesus was able to meet people where they were and, and then share truth with them and grace coupled together. And, and friends in the church today, that's missing. We've either become so grace-filled that we don't tell people the truth or we become so truth-filled that we become legalistic jerks for Jesus. It's got to meet in the middle. It has to meet in the middle. So we're entering into that time of year that we'll be gathering with family and friends around dinner tables and family celebrations. And, and I know how hard it is. I do. I really know how hard it is to bring up things and talk to family members about Christ or friends about Christ or, or share the truth. And it's easy to talk about the Ohio State Buckeyes. It's easy to talk about the Cleveland Browns. It's easy to talk about the weather. It's easy to talk about the war in Israel. It's easy to tell funny stories from the past. It's easy uh, to, uh, to talk about family members who have gone on, even though sometimes that is filled with tears. But I believe that each of us should take this challenge as we're entering in this season. And friends, I think it's imperative for us to do so. I, I'm not the alarmist that says Jesus is going to come back at any moment, but he could. He could. But more importantly than Jesus can being coming back at any moment, at any moment, any one of us could take our final breath. And, and I'm starting to think about that more often as I'm, you know, just entering that older stage of life. You know, I'm just, uh, I mean, I'm pretty much next to death right now at 51. So I tell April that all the time. Right? This, this is going to be last year. It's going to be last month. You know, I joke about that, but the reality of that's true. What, what if it is? You know, do I want my last conversation with people that I say I love to be about the Ohio State Buckeyes? Or do I want it to be about Jesus? And so if I'm going to be sincere to the truth, I need to make this pledge that, yes, maybe, maybe I'm going to be that family member that people stop inviting to things, but I'm wanting to pray for more boldness to, yes, talk about Ohio State, yes, talk about the Browns, yes, talk about the weather, but more importantly... Pray for opportunities. Lord, help me to find a way to talk about Jesus in this conversation. Help me to be sincere with the truth. Help me to know when I need to challenge somebody I say I love to take another step of faith. Help me to know when I just need to put around an arm around somebody and say, you know what, Jesus does love you, and so do I. But talk about Jesus. Be sincere to the truth, because to walk in love means that you walk in sincerity. It means you tell the truth to people around you. So, friends, what would happen if we all took that challenge? It's not going to be easy, but, but who knows when we'll get that chance again. Who knows? We might not ever. So, you cannot live a selfless, a sacrificial, or a sincere life until you do one thing. Until Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. And if he's not the Lord of your life this morning... What's keeping you from taking those steps of believing, of repenting,
confessing him to be the Lord of your life, of submitting to Christian baptism, and then chasing holiness along with the rest of us. I'm going to say a closing prayer, and after that we're going to sing a song of invitation, and if you need to take those steps this morning, please do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the love you've given us in Christ, and we pray for the boldness to, to live that love out as we leave today, as we enter into the time of year that we'll be gathering more and more with family. God, give us the boldness to speak more for Christ. Give us the boldness to be sincere. God, give us a willingness to live a sacrificial life for people inside the body of Christ that we worship with, for people who are outside, uh, for family members that, that, that just push along every nerve that we have. Help us to look more like the sacrificial love you've given us in Christ. Lord, help us to understand that you're first and others are next and then we come in last. It's really, Lord, help us to imitate you in the lives of others. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. If you'd like to meet down in front, I'd love to meet you. Or if you want to talk afterwards, please do so. There's no more important decision that you'll make than Jesus Christ being the Lord of your life.